0: Paying too much for health insurance? Frustrated by high deductibles, network restrictions, and increasing premiums? There's a better way. Christian Healthcare Ministries. CHM is a Christian community delivering a robust, faith-based solution to the high cost of healthcare. If your current health insurance has become more of a racket than a remedy, take back control of your healthcare at around half the price. Learn more and enroll today at chministries.org. That's chministries.org. Sunday,
1: May twenty second, twenty twenty two. I'm Jared Halpern. President Biden is pushing for quick approval for Finland and Sweden to join NATO. Russia's full scale aggression against a sovereign and democratic neighbor—that was a watershed moment for Sweden. And this week's primaries tell another story about the power of Trump's endorsement.
0: Trump taking away his endorsement from Mo Brooks. Has allowed mo brooks to actually uh move back into the into the into the you know first tier status
1: this is the fox news rundown from washington Sweden has been non the line from military alliances since, get this, the Napoleonic Wars more than two centuries ago. The Russian invasion of Ukraine, Sweden's Prime Minister Magdalena Andersson, made lawmakers in her country rethink defensive alliances. Russia's full-scale aggression against a sovereign and democratic neighbor, that was a watershed moment for Sweden. Standing next to the president of Finland and President Biden in the White House Rose Garden, Andersen said the NATO alliance is now necessary for Sweden's national security. Finland and Sweden are formally applying for NATO membership, a process that could take some time. All 30 NATO members must agree and Turkey, a member of the alliance since 1952, is not on board. President Biden wants the U.S. to ratify NATO's expansion fast. That would need to happen in the U.S. Senate, the legislative body responsible for confirming treaty agreements. So let's start there this week with Fox News congressional correspondent Chad Pergram on where the debate stands in this country and how quickly that debate will begin.
2: There's two steps to this. Of course, the NATO nations have to agree to this. Okay, that's one thing. One to watch is Turkey. And whether or not, uh, you know, sometimes they, frankly, just like to mess with the United States and the rest of the European Union members. So that's something to watch for, especially if they're trying to get some F-16s. One wonders if that might be one of the issues here. But the other thing is ratification in the United States Senate. This is treated much like a treaty uh, that we would make with a foreign government. Uh, The House does not have a role. This is the Senate's baby per the Constitution, and under the Constitution, a treaty needs ratification by two-thirds. Now, we think that surely there are 67 votes to do this, but there was an interesting line of questioning uh, from Chuck Schumer, the Democratic leader in the Senate, starting to question some of those Republicans who oppose the Ukraine aid bill. Mm -hmm. There were 11 who voted in the Senate against this. Uh, Everything from saying, you know, the money should come from someplace else or what have you. There were some in the House who were a little more aggressive uh, in their criticism of this. Uh, Bottom line is uh, Chuck Schumer is saying that there's this uh, pro-MAGA, soft on Putin, his words element in the Republican party. And so you could see maybe where there might be some that say, wait a minute, Uh, this is a problem. We're getting ourselves too deep in this. Here's the issue. Uh, when you talk to people who study Russia, uh, they will point out that you had this expansion of NATO at the end of the Cold War. Uh, you know, North Macedonia is how far they've gotten, brought Poland, these are all, you know, former Eastern Bloc countries over a period of time here. And they basically eventually went up to the border of Russia, right to Vladimir Putin's doorstep. He could see NATO from his house, to paraphrase a famous American politician. And the issue here is some people believe that that provoked him over time, whether that's appropriate or not, or whether that's right or not, that is a theory that's out there. And so if you're going to bring in Finland and Sweden and, you know, Finland just kind of got independence from Russia, you know, it was just a little more than 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. In fact, I went to an event here in Washington marking the 100 years of independence at the Embassy of Finland a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see where this starts to maybe you know, rattle some sabers, and does this push Vladimir Putin to do something else? Things in this war are not going very well in the war. Does he do something radical? And you could see some of those voices, some of those uh, 11 Republicans in the Senate who voted against this, and frankly, maybe some others who look at this from a geo... Uh, you know, strategic standpoint, who might be opposed to that? That is an unanswered question right now in Washington.
1: What's the timeline? How quickly do you think uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, and, and I suppose they'll work in tandem with the minority leader, uh, Mitch McConnell, who seems to be very supportive of this move, uh, how quickly here can, can they get this ratification vote?
2: Well, we don't do this very often, but we would think sometime this summer. I remember talking okay. to a, a Finnish source just about uh, two months ago. Uh, the war was underway and asked uh, about the you know, possible membership in NATO by, by Finland specifically. And they said, yes, I think that would come. but It would be a couple of years. <laughs> well, things have really stepped on the gas since then. Uh, so this is something that probably gets done you know, maybe in the summer, maybe later this year. It also depends what they decide to do in Brussels.
1: I mean that's fast right for for a treaty
2: yeah but guess what you you know you have real world events here you have a war in ukraine now you could also see or somebody might want to drag this out for the reasons that i just stated uh Mm -hmm. maybe you know on a slower track they're lucky to get this done before this congress ends maybe you know december or early january next year
1: this is just a senate vote the house takes no action
2: that's right. That, that's right. Now, now, there are some things that they deal, like with trade, where they don't treat it as a full treaty. And there's even been some questions of constitutionality of that. They put it through the House of Representatives. I think about that, about like, you know, fast track trade authority and some others. The reason being because they don't want to submit it to a two thirds vote in the Senate or they don't have the votes to ratify. But this is going
1: to be a two thirds threshold in the Senate. Yes, They're going Yes, that's have to right. Do it's a super like a treaty. Yes. And so let's talk about that in context of what else happened uh, this week. The Senate finally able to pass that $40 billion aid package. They wanted to do it, I know, last week before uh, Senator McConnell led a a delegation to Kiev. Um, It was slowed down by Rand Paul. But it gets through. Big bipartisan vote, as you've talked about. 11 Republicans voting no, but still a a big bipartisan number. Uh, $40 billion now in defense and humanitarian aid for Ukraine. How much more is expected to be spent here? I mean, this is now the second pretty sizable chunk of of emergency spending now since the invasion in February.
2: Well, one of the criticisms from Senator Paul is that what we threw into this big spending bill we did in March, plus this bill here, we have now exceeded what we have sent to Ukraine, what Russia spends every year on its entire military budget. You know, they're not up to our level, but that's pretty Mm -hmm. significant right there. I mean, not all of this
1: money is going to Ukraine.
2: That's right. And, and some of this some of is this
1: humanitarian. Is going to to as well. refill the stockpiles in the U.S. that are being sent to yeah. Ukraine. There, there's some yes, other exactly. money there, is my yeah, point.
2: Yeah, out. we depleted a lot of our weaponry, yeah. and so we sent that abroad. So that, that that's part of it as well. But it just shows you, you know, it's another big, you know, I was talking about there's the 12 annual spending bills. Mm-hmm. Well, then you've done a 13th. If you include this $28 million, which is you know pocket lent here on, on capitol hill the 28 million with an amazon mary dollars that they wanted to send uh, to the fda uh, the baby formula crisis here you know that that's a 14th extra spending bill so these things do add up over time not to mention doing the COVID bill okay we'll, we'll get to that at some point i'm sure so you're right uh, but this was the objection by senator paul uh, this represents two or three things number one it shows you how one senator really gum up the works Mm -hmm. and the fact that they had the votes to overcome a filibuster this is legislation so it needs 60 votes but it took them a week's time to run the traps remember i remember mitch mcconnell the minority leader coming down to the floor twice a week ago thursday saying we need to pass this bill today and his bluegrass state colleague was just not having it and so this is where Chuck Schumer had to put all these processes in place where you can you have to clear a filibuster just to get on the bill. Then you have to clear a filibuster to get off. the bill. And, 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 and even the if intervening
1: they days, you have to have a much time. You, you, you the know, debate. they it's cleared
2: the second the filibuster Senate. on Thursday. If Senator yeah. Paul stuck to his guns, it would have been probably later in the day on Friday when yeah. they would have I passed mean, this that, bill.
1: There's a process in the Senate and they, they went through it. But it, 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 and, right, I, the, question, the 40 billion. Yes. That, that's supposed to get to the fiscal year. So what that's through September. Um, Is that the expectation? And are lawmakers expected to pass any more spending? Well, Uh,
2: we'll see how the war goes. You know, that's the other thing I was being told. Summer, maybe fall. Okay, that's when you would do the next round of spending because we have to fund the government by the 30th of September Mm -hmm. for fiscal year 2023. Okay, so that's the next logical place. But you don't know what comes up between now and then. Uh, And then a lot of people have said, "Will there have to be a Marshall Plan. Uh, down the road, you know, for for Ukraine, obviously rebuild. the United States would be part of this, but you could see where, sure, you know, other, you know, Western European nations and and the international community to rebuild Ukraine, much like what happened in in Europe uh, following World War II, and, and the other thing I was going to say here, you know, you got to look back at the objection by Senator Paul. He said we just need to have what the, we call here in Washington an inspector general to make sure we monitor how the money is being spent. And you know, just this week, a couple of times, I saw a report from what we call CIGAR. Now, that's CIGAR with an S, not with a C. But it's the Special Inspector General for Afghanistan. You see, the CIGAR, that's the acronym. Because we have spent trillions uh, in Afghanistan and Iraq, and they're looking at how we've spent the money over there. You know, we've been in Afghanistan for two decades now. And so there's an inspector general for that. Some people might say, well, if we're gonna spend this money in Ukraine and this is going to be an ongoing problem, shouldn't we have an inspector general there? And that's the point that Senator Paul was trying to make.
1: I know there are too many sports terms used in politics, but when the leading candidate in a Senate primary election is a Heisman Trophy winner, well, it makes it easy to write something like, Herschel Walker hits the open field, racing toward the end zone. As opposed to keep it going, you could say Georgia Governor Brian Kemp is in the red zone in his primary against former Republican Senator David Perdue. The primary calendar this week moves to SEC country. Georgia, Alabama, Arkansas, and Texas – all holding elections and races that could be pivotal to the balance of power in Congress come November. So let's get our lineup card set with Fox News Radio political analyst and National Journal Against the Grain columnist, Josh Crosshour.
0: It would be a surprise if Governor Kemp doesn't uh, get past 50% necessary uh, to avoid the runoff against David Perdue. And this is an example of. Just the the, the the worst case scenario for Trump, uh, where he put most of his political capital early on in defeating Brian Kemp, in mm-hmm. recruiting Purdue to challenge him, and going to Georgia for at least one rally, uh, offering the most you know accurate attacks against the sitting governor. And not only did that campaign not work, you know, polling shows the Fox poll, Jared shows. Uh, Kemp won by over thirty points, and yeah. this could be a route, <laughs> a route, uh, in Georgia. I mean, and, and, yeah, this is not, you know, this Georgia was the center of, of where Trump's most obscene election denialism took right. place in twenty twenty one, and he made
1: that the issue. That's why he doesn't like Brian Kemp because Governor Kemp did not overturn the the election, I guess, um, and that has been a big part of Purdue's. Um, Campaign, right? Purdue has talked a lot about what he would have done as governor. Um, Does this teach any lessons here for Republicans about focusing on 2020 versus focusing on sort of a record of accomplishment right now, which is what um, Kemp has done, right? Kemp has said, listen, here's everything I've done over the last four years.
0: So I think it helps if you're a Republican governor, especially compared to being a Republican congressman or senator who has uh, been, been critical of President Trump. Governors are executives. I think Republican voters understand that that they're the folks in charge. And even if they you don't agree with what a governor does on one issue, if you like what they do on a whole host of issues, you can see why you'd be more inclined to support said incumbent. Whereas if you're a senator who You know, you're part of a talking society of 100 uh, senators. Maybe the the cost isn't as large if you just send a, a, you know, a signal of of dissatisfaction by voting against your Republican incumbent because Trump says so. Uh, I I, and, and and Jared, you mentioned an important point that Governor Kemp, even though he got on Trump's bad side because he he certified the the election results in Georgia. He has
1: governed very conservatively.
0: Did a lot of conservative uh, agenda items as a governor can do. He passed a voting reform package that ticked off the left, ticked off Stacey Abrams, but ended up passing and, and, and ended up, burnishing his standing with with conservative voters. He passed education reforms in Georgia. Uh, He's he's dealt with uh, sort of the educational curricular controversies. Uh, He's even tackled transgender issues that have become uh, kind of this polarizing fight. In, in Republican circles these days so on policy and substance aside from what happened in 2020 he's been a pretty pretty conservative governor
1: so let me ask sort of about that as it relates to a, a primary we just finished with with Pennsylvania and that's the the win uh, by Republican Doug Mastriano for governor right he is also um somebody who has run a lot on uh the former president's complaints about the election right the the this, uh, is that sort of uh, some lessons learned here as, as far as how you run these campaigns now in, in in a midterm election?
0: Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see how Mastriano pivots. If a, yeah, again, I mean, that was important to the a general primary. election. We'll
1: see what happens now in a general. Look,
0: right? I, I was struck. I mean, Mastriano, I think, got a late... He was going to win the primary anyway. He got a boost at the with the Trump endorsement at the end. But he won with 44 percent of the vote. Um, he won. I mean, I was sort of surprised, to be honest, to see how well Mastriano did in the Philadelphia suburbs, in the Pittsburgh suburbs. He was getting about 40 percent of the vote and winning uh, almost across the board in the state of Pennsylvania. But that doesn't mean much when you look at the general election, when you look at where uh, his his controversial positions on everything from, you know, the election his position on the 2020 election, right, to right. him marching uh, to the Capitol on January 6th, um, to his position on abortion, that's going to be litigated in a general election against Democrat Josh Shapiro, and and it's a different electorate. You're going to have to win over those swing voters in the mm-hmm. suburbs in Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. So, you know, I, I think it was a more decisive win for Mastriano than perhaps I expected. And, and, and again, look, in an environment like... We're looking at in 2022, you can't count anyone out, but he faces it. He's the one Republican that that, uh, may not be able to take advantage uh, to the Uh, fullest of that environment.
1: So to that point and going back to Georgia now, assuming that every single poll is not wildly off and and Governor uh, Kemp uh, wins uh, the nomination on Tuesday night, it sets up a rematch with Stacey Abrams, who he defeated four years ago. Um, Is that a a neck and neck race is that a toss-up is that an advantage republican race what how how do you because Georgia's a a, you know a lot of people are are paying attention to georgia in a way that maybe we wouldn't have before the 2020 election right
0: yeah i have a hard time believing that it's a toss-up race when in a historically good democratic environment in 2018 Stacey abrams still lost to governor then candidate kemp by by about a point um, you know, it, it's, it's a much different environment It's a much, uh, you know, if you believe Some of Joe Biden's own pollsters, it's a historically Strong environment for Republicans So, you know, Kemp winning The Republican primary, if he does by, by the margins that the polls are suggesting Would be another sign that the Republican Party Is united in Georgia The pathway for Stacey Abrams was A divided Republican Party, a Republican Party Split between the Purdue and Kemp Forces, well, there, are, there don't seem to be Many Purdue forces anymore they, right. They've all abandoned ship So it just seems hard,
1: including including it would appear the former president,
0: right? No, no other rallies uh, for Trump in, in Georgia. So, you know, look, it'll be interesting to see what Trump said. I mean, this will be an interesting test for Trump as well, assuming Kemp does win convincingly. Does he just give up? Does he, does he focus on other races where he has some invest, investment in? Or does he continue the grievance against Kemp and maybe endorse the libertarian candidate for governor in Georgia? Who knows? I mean, we'll but he, there's a certain point where he could lose credibility, Trump, with his own voters if he supports it or if he does something to help Stacey Abrams out, who's a unique villain in the eyes of a lot of conservatives in Georgia.
1: Are there any other races? Races you're looking at, it looks like on the Republican Senate side, obviously, Herschel Walker seems to have that sewn up. Obviously, the endorsement from Trump helped a lot. Are there any House races? Uh, you know, do you look at what happened to Madison Cawthorn and, and see if those lessons apply in Georgia?
0: The big House race I, I, I would focus on is the Democratic one between the two members of Congress. Yeah. Lucy McBath uh, and Carolyn Bordeaux. Uh, yeah. One one is a African-American lawmaker who is really uh, you know, developed national ties and one is a more mm-hmm. moderate lawmaker who is represents more of the district that that got redrawn. But that's the big house race. Uh, but that, okay. the, the big the big story uh, after Georgia, after the governor's race, I mean, Alabama is shaping up to be. a, a Well, that's of, what I was going to finish.
1: That's another one. Right. Where Trump endorsed early. Right. Mo Brooks, the congressman, um, and then took away the endorsement <laughs> because he didn't think that he was performing well. Um, I don't believe he has endorsed any other candidate. Right.
0: So this is an amazing story that if we think that the Trump endorsement confers legitimacy and, and momentum, well, apparently Trump taking away his endorsement from Mo Brooks has allowed Mo Brooks to actually uh, move back into the into the into the you know first tier status. Might he win in, in this? that Senate race. <laughs> well, keep in mind there's a runoff in Alabama. Yeah. So that you, you have to have 50
1: for... plus plus one. Right, right? it's the so same. This as is
0: going Georgia, to a, this is going to Georgia, runoff. by the way. Yeah, right. This is a, this is going to go to a runoff, I think. No matter what happens, the question is: Does Brooks make it into the runoff? Could he finish in first place? Uh, you know. All he needs to do is finish in second, right, yeah Katie Britt, who is the more of the chamber of commerce McConnell aligned uh, republican in in the race, is still holding a a lead in the latest round of polling, but it's narrowed a little bit and Mo Brooks has gone from sort of in the down in the dumps to to second place in one recent mm-hmm. poll that came out this week uh part of it is just because a lot of Republicans wrote mo brooks off and they thought he was toast and so a lot of the attacks from the brit campaign went to the third candidate mike durant who was uh he's a retired army officer who has a lot of money self-funding the campaign a lot of folks thought he might be the favorite in this race but he's he dipped a third place in some of these polls it's, it's a true scrum of these three candidates like you like we've We've been discussing only the top two are going to get to finish unless they hit fifty percent.
1: Katie Britt also used to be the chief of staff to uh, Richard Shelby, who is retiring, which is why this is an open seat. Um, is the Republican primary going to decide this race? Is there a competitive Democrat?
0: Uh, yes, yes. The Republican, excuse me, the Republican primary in Alabama is all but uh, guaranteed to decide the. Uh, The the race. This is not a uh, a situation like we saw in 2017 when you had a uniquely uh, damaged Republican candidate or more. There is a there is a Democratic primary. uh, you You have three candidates. That, that are running but none of them are, are but heavy. they're not even no, Any, no, no matter who comes out
1: of the republican primary that's the heavy favorite
0: this is still i know alabama did flip uh, i know yeah, that's why, I once, yeah that's why yeah that's once I in a lifetime <laughs> opportunity but th- we, we, there's no doug jones waiting, waiting in the woodwork
1: one more race to talk about too um as we talk about runoffs uh is texas which has their runoff now uh on tuesday and there is a, a house uh Democrat incumbent still still facing a pretty fierce uh, primary challenge, right down yeah. um, down south.
0: The the one remaining pro life Democrat in the House, Henry Cuellar, yeah. uh, is in re- very serious trouble uh, in this runoff. Now he won uh, as in claiming first place in the primary by a couple points mm-hmm. over Jessica Cisneros, who's a Elizabeth Warren, AOC endorsed attorney. Uh, but the, especially after the leak of the ro- the, the, the possible Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v. Wade. The progressives in that district seem more energized for the runoff than than the more moderate forces in the district. Now, what's going to be interesting, Jared? Uh, well, number one, I would point out that
1: Cuellar, I would say, still has the support of House leadership, the DCCC. Yeah. Uh, Pelosi, I think, was asked about it this week. Some other members were asked about it, and then they talked about, you know, it's a big tent party.
0: Yeah, but what matters in this runoff is which, especially because it's a runoff and you don't have other races necessarily on the yeah. ballot, is who can turn out their supporters yeah. more. Quayer actually had the slight advantage in the the primary, but it does seem like the forces of engagement are on the and the excitement is on the left right now. The grievance, at least, is on the left. I also would point out to that Oregon. There was an Oregon primary. That Congressman Kurt Schrader, another pretty moderate Democratic mm-hmm. member, uh, looks like he's going to lose. Hasn't been called yet, but uh, those races are interesting because you could have the progressive win in both races against Schrader and against Quayar next week. But these are competitive districts. These are right. I was going to say that would
1: put somebody like that would put this district maybe in more play than it I, well, would I be
0: Quayar. De- make no mistake, I think if Quayar loses the primary, Republicans would be favored to win. the that the, the quayar district in in the november election narrative does does seem a little quite a bit too liberal to, to win especially given the political environment we're seeing right now
1: that is why these primaries these runoffs matter so much in the margins that we are talking about just uh, about five house seats would need to be flipped by republicans of course just one goes either way uh, in, in the senate and that's why we watch these races very closely we'll continue to, to cover it tuesday night our coverage uh I'll be there. Uh, I think Josh will be there as well. Uh, Jessica Rosenthal will have the whole team together.
0: I'm excited to be back uh, talking politics (laughs) on another another big election night in a month filled with uh, exciting elections.
1: That will do it for this week's Fox News Rundown from Washington. Next week, Congress is calling baby formula makers to testify as a shortage continues, leaving parents feeling helpless. And the Supreme Court could decide that major abortion case by officially releasing an opinion any day now. We'll stay on standby. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay in touch with those you care about. For all of us at Fox News Radio, thank you for listening. I'm Jared Halpern from Washington.